This morning, we're actually going to cover two passages. Um, I had Doug read one of them. The other one I'll read in the middle of it. There are two passages that are not often preached on in sermons. And so if you had a normal pastor, they would just never do this. But you could say your pastor is not normal. Um, I want to start with a conversation I had with an, um, probably one of my best friends from high school I had with him after a little after college. And I, at that time, I was just going into the ministry to work for Young Life, and he was living in Columbus, and I, I said, hey, let's get together. So I went down and visited with him. We, we you know, did some time together, and I, you know, we're taking a walk, and I, I still remember being on this walk. It's been quite a while now. And, you know, I, I asked him about, you know, where, where was he, how was he doing with his faith? Was he reading, reading the Bible, you know, because people in ministry are supposed to ask questions like that. And so I, I was a bit surprised by his answer. Basically, he let me know he, he wasn't sure he believed in God anymore. Um, and definitely said, he says, you can't trust the Bible. And then he said something. He said, Paul was a misogynist. And I did not know how to respond to this, to this, this friend of mine, especially because I did not know what a misogynist was. Um, nowadays, of course, that term is much more common, and you hear that all the time. And so we're going to ask, was the Apostle Paul a misogynist? A misogynist, for those maybe who never heard the term, just literally means one who hates women. And it is a question that I've heard now many times in the academic world. And in fact, the assumption would be in certain circles that Paul was a misogynist. So first of all, it's not completely unreasonable to think that he might have been. If you look at the attitudes towards women, including among the the Jewish rabbis, and Paul was trained as a Jewish rabbi um, at the time. So here was a daily prayer in the Talmud given for men. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, um, King of the universe, for not having made me a woman. So every day, men would pray that. Here's another quote by uh, Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, It says, "The, the words of Torah should be burned rather than entrusted to women. Um, And then one more. Rabbi Jose ben Johanan of Jerusalem says, Talk not much with womankind, he who talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna. So there was antagonism, hatred towards women in different parts of that time. So what about Paul? Did he, did he pick that up from the culture that he lived in and bring that into the thing? Well, we got to talk about who is Paul. And why, why is it important that we think about this? This is a, there was a great movie, Paul the Apostle, came out four or five years ago or so, worth watching. Uh, Paul was trained as a rabbi. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, all his disciples were Jewish. The, our, our Christian faith comes out of the, the his, history of the Jews. And so Paul was a rabbi who initially was actually persecuting the church, but, but G, Jesus met him along the road. Um, I mean, 
the risen Jesus met him. You know, God came into his life and it turned everything around. And, and then so Paul became the most important person in the spread of the Christian faith. He's the one that took the gospel to the Greek and Roman world, starting churches in city after city to non-Jews. Paul's special gift was to take the faith that had been come out of the Jewish faith and bring it into this Gentile world and let them know that Jesus was the savior for all peoples. And, and his writings, he would write letters to these churches. His writings play a key role in defining what Christianity is. Without Paul, it, it, it's quite easy to say that we would not have had Christianity. So he, he was a key figure and he defined what Christianity was about. So, so if Paul had absorbed this, this attitude, sinful attitude of, of misogyny, if, if he would have absorbed that and that was reflected in his writings, then, you know, then what does that mean about the word of God, right? So it, means, uh, it means we would have to sift out, okay, well, we know Paul only said this because he's a misogynist, you know, he hated women, and so, you know, we got to uh, ignore him on this case, and, and so if it's true, and I'm going to say it's not, but that's what the skeptics of our faith are saying, then, then we got we to settle this. And what I'm going to argue is Paul has been misunderstood. And so I want to make the case that Paul was not a misogynist. And I want to, uh, first of all, I'm going to kind of highlight some general truths about Paul and his ministry. And then I'm going to take on the most challenging passage, the one that really leads to this charge, and then we're going to come back to the passage that we, we, our main passage for the day. So four truths that we learn about Paul. Um, the first one is, Paul learned from his teacher, the Rabbi Gamaliel, a positive view of women. So not all the rabbis were of the same ilk um, attitude. So Acts 22, it says Paul was born a Jew, a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. So we know Paul learned from him. And so let me, the, the description of Gamaliel I heard is, the surviving sayings of Rabban Gamaliel I indicate a favorable attitude toward women in sharp contrast to the rabbinic tradition as a whole. Let me give you two quotes uh, two things that he, he wrote. Um, one is, before God, all are equal, women and slaves, poor and rich. Another thing Gamaliel wrote, it says, whether Israelite or Gentile, man or woman, male or female slave, according to their works, the Holy Spirit dwells in them. Does that, for those who are here when we did Galatians 3, does that not... Maybe see how Paul got some of his teachings, that God used this rabbi to help shape Paul's later teachings that he, he did. Um, so, so Paul had godly influences, I would say. Second, Paul included women as full members of the body of Christ. This is a, a theme that I've kind of thrown out in a lot of the sermons in the series, that that women were not just wards of their husbands or fathers, but moral agents able to become disciples of Jesus and grow and learn in faith. Paul spoke of women in, in such terms. He, 
he, he did not speak about women in his, his letters. He spoke to women, men and women together. And Paul's, so Paul's letters are addressing men and women, the, all, all of the, the letters, in a sense, all of the, the passages. So it's not just the ones that specifically say, speak to women. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, you know, just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Even though women aren't mentioned, they're included in that verse. The third thing, uh, Paul offers a vision of marriage that was radical for his day, one of mutual dependence and love. I, I hit this hard a couple weeks ago, and so I'm not going to repeat all that, but just Paul did not tell husbands to rule over their wives. Instead, he told husbands to love their wives. And yes, wives are to, to submit to, to be subject to their husbands and, and trust um, and not work against their husbands, but work towards together as a married couple. So, fourth, Paul, and this is big. This is in our passage today. Paul gladly partnered with women in the work of proclaiming the gospel. Back in when we did Philippians this summer, Philippians also talks about how some of the women he was writing to. It says, uh, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And then he calls them fellow workers. So, so Paul called women fellow workers and in fact, so one of those names, I heard something new. We know that when the church of Philippi was started, it was Lydia, a businesswoman, who was key to getting that church started. And so this passage I wrote talks about Euodia and Syntyche as two women who labored with Paul. Um, I assumed Euodia was different. I've, someone suggested that Euodia is just a nickname for Lydia. Not sure if that's true, but it, it could quite possibly be that it's... Yodi and Lydia are very similar in, in their, their phrasing. Okay, so those are four truths. I kind of do that to set up, and I want to bring us into this difficult passage, knowing having those already in mind. And so here's the difficult passage. Let me go ahead and just read, read it. It's, you know, I do have that sermon handout. It's on the back of there. It would also be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 14. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Like I said, normal pastors wouldn't even go there. Right? How, what's your reaction to that? Like, oh, okay. All right, just, just be clear. I'm, it's not my words. The, this is, I'm reading the Bible. Um, so, so if we just took it out of context, it doesn't look good. You could see why Paul might be open to that charge. So let's understand what's going on. And the only way to do that is to see what Paul is talking about in this entire pat chapter of 1 Corinthians 14. And, and so in the chapter, 
he is talking about how to have orderly worship, worship that is, that is right, and, and he's dealing with things that are interrupting worship and people speaking out of turn, and when it is right to be silent, to, to not speak up. So earlier in 14, it says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So, so you speak in worship when you have a word that will build up others, right? And, and encourage and build up the church. And then he talks about times when that's not true. And so he talks about those who speak in, in tongues, but there's no one to interpret. So it just sounds like babbling. He says that in that case, if there's no one to interpret, so verse 28, there's no one to interpret that let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So that's one time to, to, to keep silent in church for anyone. Uh, and it's not, there's no, no verse for it, but another one, a little bit, a few verses later, it says the same thing about when people are both thinking they have a, a prophecy to speak from the Lord. And so if there are times if two people are competing to who gets to give the prophecy, there's times when one of them should, should defer to the other and keep silent using those, those words. And so it's talking about when, if your words are not going to build up the church, yes, you should keep silent. So what's going on specifically with the women and the wives? It's talking about wives who may lack the basic knowledge of the scriptures. Remember that in the ancient world, women did not have the same education. Also, they weren't taught the, the, the Torah. So like those rabbis said, you know, you shouldn't teach the Torah to the women. Um, so women weren't included in that, but now they're in the church. Now they have a place and a role within the body of Christ. And so what was going on is that some of them were interrupting, causing a disturbance by asking questions, speaking when they should be just learning in quietness and, and ready to, to, quietness and being subject to, to how to learn, being submissive and, all right, what, what do I need to learn here? Instead, they were interjecting and causing disruptions within the service. So it was not orderly. Um, says God, that's why it says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This is, it's, it's better if you would go ask your husbands at home. If, if you need to catch up on what to learn, your husbands can help you do that. Don't interrupt. Don't speak up in, in the, in, during the teaching time. So he's addressing a specific problem. Earlier in the same letter, Paul speaks of women who are leading the prayer time. So they are speaking up within the worship service. It also talks about women who can be prophets, and so they also might speak up in church. I mean, if you take this as an absolute injunction against women ever speaking within worship, how is that going to work? Right? Are they allowed to sing? You know, are, are, do, you know, can they give announcements? Can they, you know, do you have to come in and, you know, make sure you don't even talk to your neighbor? Like, is, is that... What's going on? No. It's dealing with the problem of interrupting the worship service or interrupting the teaching time. The, the word it is used is, you know, 
to speak is lalain. It can also mean in certain cases to chatter. And so maybe I, here's how I take it. So it says when it's shameful women to speak in church, it's talking about her chattering and speaking when she should be listening and learning with a quiet spirit. The idea is learning um, in the learning time. If you, if you ever pop into our youth group, um, I don't know if, if any of the youth, the youth leaders are probably all recovering. They did that all nighter. But uh, I know that they have to spend a good, good amount of youth group time exhorting the teenagers to be quiet and listen instead of, you know, chattering on while they're supposed to be taking in. That's kind of what's going on here. To interpret 1 Corinthians 14 as an injunction on women speaking at all in church, it does not fit with how, how Paul spoke in other parts of the same book. It also does not fit with how Paul operated his ministry. And that's why we're going to zero in now on Romans 16. How did, Paul, how did Paul treat women in regards to this? So in Romans 16, another truth about Paul is he praised women and, instructs, and he instructs the church to honor their work. And there's going to be three, three women in this short passage I'm going to highlight. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencre. Um, so, so first of all, Phoebe, it says a servant of the church. The actual word is deacon. So uh, we, we understand, we, we know churches have deacons. So I, I think it's an actual, it's, it's the office that she had. So she was a deacon at a specific, specific church. Um, so that meant she had an office of leadership. And, and from what it says in here, I believe that Phoebe was the one that was carrying the letter to the city of Rome. She was the, the one bearing, because let's go on. So I, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. So I'm, I'm he's basically saying, I, I, I want you to hear her. I want, you know, I'm sending, uh, the, the literal meaning is to stand with. I stand with our sister Phoebe, who's coming to you from this, this church in Sencrae. Third thing it says, uh, it calls her a patron of many. Now look deeply at this word because I think it's, it's interesting. The word is prostatus. It is a, a, it's translated patron, which is a fair translation. It's a grammatical form of proesteemi, which means stand before. So you could, if there's a little wordplay, I think, going on here. So Paul says, I, I stand with our sister Phoebe because she stood for or stood for others when they were going through different times. Um, that she was, she stood for Paul when she, he needed someone to stand for her. The word uh, can literally mean protector, guardian, or a woman set over others. It's specifically a, a female word, so it definitely means a woman. Note what Paul says. Give her the help that she needs to do the work that God is calling her to do. Right? Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. She has been given a task. Don't, don't oppose her. Work with her uh, in what she's, she's given to do. One last thing. This is new. I, I just learned this as I, I got into this because I was like, where's this town, Sencre? Did, I wasn't familiar with that. Looked it up. 
it's actually a few miles east of Corinth on the Saronic Gulf. It is an arm of the Aegean Sea in the time of Apostle Paul. Sencre was considered the eastern port of Corinth. In other words, she's, she probably got the same letter from 1 Corinthians. Like, it's applying to her when she's talking about 1 Corinthians. So I, I found that interesting that, that it's, it's fit together. All right, that's, that's a side thing. All right, so we have, we have Phoebe. We also have Priscilla and Aquila. Now, it says Prissa. Prissa is like Mary, Maria, Prissa, Priscilla. Um, Luke likes to call her Priscilla. Now, note it is a husband-wife who have a teaching ministry. We hear about them quite a bit in the book of Acts. We know that together they, they seem to work as partners, husband-wife. In, in the movie Paul the Apostle, uh, they, they play a pretty big role. I, I found it interesting as far as leading the church in Rome. And it says the churches Paul has been working with are grateful for them. Right? Whatever they're doing, whatever leadership they're offering, the, the, all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. They, their leadership role as a couple. I found it interesting. There are some husband wives who work together in ministry like this. And I think it seems to be a great way when you see a husband wife who, who can together, they each bring their, their gifts. To, I've seen husband wife couples or a par, pastoral couples and work that way. Um, that seems to be how they, they work. And not sure what, if, you know, well, just note, Paul gives her name first, which he tends to, to do when that, that's the person who's taking the lead. So there's something about Priscilla that she is, maybe she's the, the more natural teacher of the, of the ones. So, third one, Andronicus and Junia. Now, we don't know if they're married or if they were brother and sister. Paul says they are fellow kinsmen which means they could be his relatives or it could be they're from the same town. And, you know, we know he is from Tarsus. So somehow there's this connection. He's known them, and it, it, it says that they're, they were in Christ before Paul. So they, they were Christians early in the game. Um, and it says now they are fellow prisoners. Whatever work they're doing, they, have now, they are now under guard, facing prison, who but knows? Maybe they gave their lives as, as martyrs for the cause. And so he's saying, greet, greet them as well. And here's the key line, which is really interesting. There's a lot of articles on this. It says, they are well known to the apostles. If you try to get really literal on this, it's they are notable or outstanding among the apostles or even, you know, the, who are of note, who are of note among the apostles. Now, it's the preposition that's key. Are they well-known to the apostles? Are they well-known among the apostles? The, the preposition that's used is actually in, within, or can be translated among. It, it's not a preposition that is to. So the, the more literal translation leaves open the possibility that Paul is referring to Junia as an apostle. Not sure, not definitive, but that's actually what one of the early church fathers thought, someone who wrote and taught in Greek. John Chrysostom, in the 4th century, one of the church fathers, he typically 
is not really pro-women in church leadership, but here's what he wrote. He says, how great the wisdom of this woman that she was even deemed worthy of the apostle's title. So Chrysostom seemed to think that Paul might be attributing Junia as an apostle. Um, Who knows? Some may be asking, why does this matter? Why, why, why are you going on and on about this? I want to give you two reasons uh, why I think this is important. Have any of you ever heard of the Orgone Accumulator by William Reich? So this was a thing in the 50s that he invented. And Orgone Energy, he, taught, he wrote about Orgone Energy, and it's similar to Chi, I guess, whatever Chi is. But it's this energy out there that you could somehow get draw into your yourself and he created this this metal box that if you sat in the box it would help you attract the orgone energy and the the chi that that would give you strength and so there was one one guy's like a professor and he he got one of these boxes and and like someone asked him like do you you know do you really believe this stuff I don't know if you can read the, the little text down there, but, but basically it says uh, he knew it was phony, but it was helpful because his wife sat quietly in the box for four hours every day. So basically it's four, four hours of keeping his wife silent. Critics of Christianity, critics of the Bible will say that's what the Bible is. It's a box designed to keep women silent. This is why we have to talk about this. That's, that's not what the scriptures are. That's not what, the Bible is not a box you put women into to keep them silent. That's why we have to take care to understand the scriptures well. And because and, we believe it is true in what it intends to teach. What it intends to teach. The problem is, as skeptics, or, or others can pick out random verses and make the Bible seem ridiculous or oppressive. And that's, there are people who've created memes out of that verse from 1 Corinthians 14 and said, this is what the Bible teaches. Do you believe this? And what they're doing is they're taking it out of the context and, and using it to, to, to make it seem like it's something you can't trust the scripture as a whole. That's why we have to address this. I would say the Bible can and has been misused and misunderstood. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Bible will be misunderstood and misused. Here's this great teaching from, from the Apostle Peter, different from Paul. All right? So the Apostle Peter speaks about Paul's writings, and here's what he says. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. So Peter's writing, you know that Paul, he, he is wise, he knows things. Like, so he's praising Paul's teaching because Paul's letters would have been distributed by this point in time. And he says he writes the same way in all his letters. And Paul's you know, writing all these letters. Peter only wrote a couple letters. But um, you know, speaking of them in these matters, here's the key line. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Would you agree with that? Is sometimes Paul hard to understand what he's saying and what he's getting at. 
Um, and then he goes on to say, which ignorant and unstable people distort, distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So there are times when people will use the Bible and, and take, especially take a verse here and there and use it to, to mislead people, to distort the teaching of what it's about. I meant to bring my book that I've, I've, I've read recently. It's called um, How Not to Read the Bible. How Not by Dan Kimball. And, and so it talks about the ways the Bible is misused like this. And so do we have a slide for that? Um, yeah, so in, in, the, in this book, he talks about, there's a chapter called Never Read a Bible Verse. That sound weird? Never read a Bible verse? What he's saying, he explains, he says, at least read a paragraph, right? Read, read it in context. Don't just take that one verse so you can get to say what you want it to say. Um, and that's what the modern day thing with memes, people like to use memes and slogans. That, the Bible doesn't work like that. The Bible's meant to be read within, within a larger pa- package, so here's what Dan Kimball writes. says, a Bible verse taken on its own can be misunderstood and misinterpreted and used in all kinds of ways that have nothing to do with the original meaning. This is one of the primary ways we see the Bible being used against itself by critics of the Bible. A verse is pulled out and placed on a visual or a meme or possibly even a rented billboard. And that's the kind of stuff his book deals with. It says, when you say never read a Bible verse... That's saying that the Bible is written in a context and in a specific time period and for a specific purpose. And every Bible verse fits within a larger story. Last year, I did the, the whole story of the Bible over like 10 sermons, right? Because it's important to see the whole story of what, what is happening through the scriptures. And it is an incredible story. It's about a God who, who uh, uh, thank you, Sarah, for what you talked about, God who saw people who, who fell short and, and went against his ways, who, who could not save themselves. He had to come and send his son in order to, to save us because we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't make the jump all the way across and get back to God. And so it's important to see the, the, the story, the specifics of the scriptures within that bigger story. Because that's um, how we understand what the Bible is intending to teach. So that's one reason why we um, looked at this, um, this today. There's a second reason. Because it matters a lot how we treat each other. Right? Christians can get caught up in this interpretation or this or that. The Bible is very clear that we are not to be dismissive of our fellow believers, that we need to communicate to one another within the body of Christ that, that, that you have value and you matter. Who here has ever taken part in a Bible study by Beth Moore? A lot of people over here, almost no one over here. So I see a few, I see a few, yeah. Is, is Beth Moore a, a, a bleeding heart liberal? She, she, she a progressive no, she's a solid Bible teacher, evangelical, right? So in 2018, she spoke out against some things she was seeing in the church. She's a, a great Bible teacher. I, I've not done one of her studies, but I've heard many and who have and went into depth. She wrote a long letter, an open letter, and how she very reluctantly, she didn't want to write this letter, 
but she felt she had to because of things she was seeing in the treatment of women within the church. Keep in mind, 2018 was around the time of the Me Too movement, and she was saying, the stuff that you're seeing in the world, we're also seeing within the church, and we have to address some of this stuff as well. Let me read just a a short quote of this, of what, what she wrote. It says, then in early October 2016, surfaced attitudes among some key Christian leaders that smacked of misogyny. So she uses the M word. Um, Smacked of misogyny, objectification, and astonishing disesteem of women, and it spread like wildfire. It was just the beginning. I came face to face with one of the most demoralizing realizations of my adult life. Scripture was not the reason for the colossal disregard and disrespect of women among many of these men. It was only the excuse. Sin was the reason. Ungodliness. There was one male pastor who, who responded. Um, uh, the, the, I can't say his name. The Bite Anwabile. Uh, and he, he said, you're right. Not just for others, but for myself. And so speaking for himself, he asked for forgiveness. Acknowledging where he had, he had seen that in his own, own work. If you are interested, I actually made about 20 copies. If you'd like to read the letter that she wrote and the response. Uh, I'm just going to leave them on the front pew. If you're not interested, don't worry about it. Um, I'd been listening to some podcasts, and I listened to one that where Beth Moore talked about her ministry. And she said she never intended to, to teach men, right? Because I know there's disagreement whether women can teach, teach a man. Um, it says... She just had these Sunday school classes, and men kept showing up, and she didn't feel like she should should kick them out of the room. So she ended up teaching men because they were wanted to hear what she has to say. Um, so, so say this: say there are different views within the church about what church leadership roles are fitting for women to have, and where the line is. It is simply a disagreement. And you can look in the um, American church and a and, and, and bunch of them, you know, do men and women have different roles? That is a debatable thing from Scripture. And I, I'm guessing in this room there are people on different sides of that, of where, where those roles would fall. Um, so I think that's debatable. But the Bible is very clear about how we are to treat one another and value one another, both men and women, that we are not to be dismissive. It says the Holy Spirit lives amongst his people. The Holy Spirit leads people to serve. And I want you to hear, each person has value because the Spirit is going to empower you, work in you to do some work for the kingdom, do some work to building up the body. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. It says there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, that, you know, God's spirit empowers people. And to, to, you're not here just to take in, right? God brought you here because you have something to add to the body of Christ. And then and it goes in 1 Corinthians, there are different ways people add to the body of Christ, different kinds of gifts that they can bring to the table. It says, you know, it's, it's the same spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. We're all following Jesus and there are, there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who's empowering 
each one of them. So we got Spirit, Lord, and God. It's all the Trinity. And says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. It tells us why. Why does God empower us by the Spirit? For the common good. Right? He, he, he's using that to, 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 that we might build up the body. And he says, if that's happening within the body of Christ, within the church congregation, then we should not be dismissive of what someone else has to bring because it's different from what you have to bring. It says, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's what I want you to go away with. How have you seen someone who maybe others in this world would write off and not consider valuable, how have you seen them add to the, the body of Christ in a way? I love it when, when God does that, when God uses the gifts of someone to contribute, to, to do great things. And I've seen that so much within this congregation. And I just pray God keeps doing it. He keeps empowering us by his spirit that we could love, love God more, Love one, love one another, and serve him with all we got. So as, as the worship team comes up, let me um, let's just ask God to do that in our midst. Father in heaven, we know that the Bible is sometimes hard to understand. We'd ask that you would give us insight and wisdom so that some of those difficult passages we would have clarity on. As we grow in you, as we learn you, as we learn your word, May you show us how they're meant to be applied within, within this world. And Father, may we together learn to love you and love one another as we follow your son, Jesus Christ. May we build each other up. Father, we ask that you would add to this congregation. And that you would bring the people that we need to, that we could continue to bear the light of Christ. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen.